Welcome to the OMR Podcast, where we go inside the minds of the biggest names in digital and tech. My name is Scott Peterson, and I am an editor at OMR. In today's episode, we have CEO and founder of Invisibobble, Sophie Trellis Tveda. Invisibobble is a massively successful hair tie company that Sophie helped build from the ground up. OMR Editor-in-Chief Roland Eisenbrand caught up with Sophie to discuss Invisibobble's business model, how the company created a prestige brand out of a mass-market good, and how a hangover fueled the company's genesis. All of that and more right now in the OMR Podcast. Hello, welcome to the OMR Podcast. Um, I'm here with, okay, I'll try my best, Sophie Trellestfeder. <laughs> <laughs> was was that close? More or less. We'll, we'll take it as a as a success. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, she's uh, the the CEO and founder and inventor of Invisibubble. Is is that right? Invisibubble. Yeah, I know everything. Whether it's my name or the company name, it's always complicated. Okay, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but but you uh, but you invented the product um, you, you're selling. Am I right? Or yeah. Um, should I go into more detail? Or? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I, 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 I know a little bit of his story, but I, probably most of um, or many listeners don't. Um, so, yeah, uh, tell us what you're doing and what you're what you're producing, what you're selling. Mm -hmm. So, in Visibubble, in its simplest form, let's say, or at the time we started, was just a better version of a regular hair tie. So we started um, beginning of 2012 uh, with a real product, end of 2011 with a concept, let's say the word in Busy Bubble existed, end of 2011. And really what we were striving for at the time was, how do I create a hair tie that doesn't leave a mark in your hair? Mm -hmm. The reason for that, I know that that's not something you just wake up one day and you're like, <laughs> hey, I want to you know, invent a better version of a hair tie. Um, I was at university at the time. I had pretty much just arrived, so I started in October. And the idea sort of sprung to life in end of November or December. And the reason for that was various things. First of all, I got to university and I'd worked so hard to get in. And then I finally get there and it was just not what I was expecting it to be. I'm not entirely sure why. I just thought, like, okay, I'm going to have assignments to do. I'm going to have a lot of work to do. And then it's just one of those universities where if you so feel like it, you can get away with doing nothing for three quarters of the year, but then you, like, die the last three months. <laughs> and, of course, I, I was one of those students. I was like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll postpone it until later. So then... It, was that in Denmark or was it...? No, this was in England. Okay. I studied at the University of Warwick. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was there and I got to Christmas and I just felt somehow really unfulfilled. Like um, I got into the holidays and I, I feel like I didn't deserve them, which I it was something I wasn't used to feeling. So this is the first thing that happened. The second thing is I've always gotten headaches from tying up my hair. I just get migraines. Um, there's a lot of tension that, that um, builds up around the back of my head. So it's just always something that has bothered me, let's say. And then the third thing, which was what brought it all together, um, I was invited to a bad taste party by the university. And uh, of course, at this time, so you have to keep in mind, my first year, first term, uh, the most important thing is to make friends and drink yeah. as much alcohol as humanely possible, <laughs> I guess. Um, so, of course, I went super motivated um, and then dressed up in the theme of bad taste. So that's literally that you put on really ugly clothes, you do your makeup, so it looks really outrageous. 
And the last thing I did was I took an old telephone cord and put it in my hair. Where did the telephone cord come from? Uh, I was staying in uh, student housing, which was built like in the 70s or something like this. It just like had not been refurbished since then. And they had an emergency telephone on each floor. And on my floor, it just happened to be inside my bedroom. And I was looking at it and I thought, I mean, no one, no one has used this in an eternity and I don't think anyone is going to use this for a while. So I just sort of unplugged the, the cord and put it in my hair, went to the party, had a really, really good time, got back home, uh, managed to take everything off except for the massive telephone cord. And then I woke up the next morning and the first thing I realized, despite my hangover, let's say, was the fact that I didn't have a lot of tension around the back of my head, like significantly less with this huge telephone cord than I would have with a very tiny normal hair tie. And this is where all of the alarm bells started going off in my head, like, oh my God, is this, you know, is this something that could happen? And then I did the most ex instinctive thing, I guess, one can do in that moment uh, when you're hungover and have a weird idea is to call the boyfriend and be like, hi, I have an idea, we should make hair ties. <laughs> Um, and he was like, what are you talking about, of course? Um, but he was very much in the same situation that I was in, also studying at university. And he was like, hey, you know, whatever the idea is, um, if you're up for it, then so am I. Okay. And that's how it started. And you didn't have an emergen uh, emergency in the night and had to use the telephone, oh, no, which was unplugged. Probably not, no. <laughs> okay. I also hope no one after that had emergencies. <laughs> so so what, what happened next? You're... Um, Or maybe we. Yeah. What What happened next? Um, did you, did you, uh, was it like? Did you, did you start a business immediately uh, around it, or um, did, did it take some time? So, um, the most important thing for us from the beginning was that we have a product that genuinely works. Um, what were you, What were you studying? What do you Were you studying business? Yeah. And economics? Yeah, it's just like a course called um, management, okay. whatever, whatever that means, in but, the business school. But yeah. you also uh, um, always manage yourself to like founding a, a company or uh, was it in an idea that came together with the idea for the hair tie? What, if, if my studies contributed to me coming yeah. up with the idea? Yeah, if you always wanted to found a company and ah. were only looking for an idea or if you had the idea and then thought, okay, I've, I could turn okay. this into a company. I've always thought it was uh, it's a nice idea to, to found your own thing, um, especially because I I think I, I didn't know what I wanted. I was just one of those people that had no idea what I wanted to do. So then you end up studying management, you know, like as everyone or not everyone, but a lot of people in the business school, it's like, I don't know what to study. Hence, I'll study this. But the concept of doing your own thing. Yeah, sure. I always thought that was cool. Um, did I actively have in mind like now I want to start a company? Not really. So I think it was more like in the back of my mind. Yeah, I was open for it. Then this weird series of events comes together, you know, arriving at a hair tie. Um, and then I thought, okay, why not? Yeah. Maybe you could do one one short uh, fast forward and uh, just to give the, the listeners a, a feeling of um, of where you are right now mm -hmm. before we talk how you got there. Yeah. Um, can you give us any number to, to illustrate how... how uh, How big the company is? How many hair ties are you selling per year? How many employees? How many employees <laughs> do you have? Um, well, we have a ticker on how many invisible bubbles we've sold in total. Okay. And just a couple of weeks ago, we reached our 100 millionth invisible bubble. Wow. Yeah. 
So obviously that's really, really exciting for us. Um, that being said, though, there are a lot of people on this planet, of which half are women, so we still have a long way to go. Okay. Yeah. Um, but for us, the, the biggest thing that we do, are really what we specialize in, is distribution through mass retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether they're upscale or, or really large, large retailers. So status now, we're present in around 85,000 locations around the world. Okay. Yeah. Wow, impressive. Um, that's enough numbers for you. <laughs> <laughs> for the moment, yes. Um, so, so let's get back to the beginning then. Um, when you, when as a as a young student, and you have this idea, what do you do next? I, I I've never founded a company. Who I've never founded a company, and I've never found a, oh, found shame. a co- uh, yeah, maybe I should. <laughs> I, uh, I've never found one that produced a physical product, and yeah. I wouldn't know where where to go. Uh, which people to, to talk to uh, if I wanted to produce something like this? What what happened next? What what did you do to get this to get this product going? Yeah, so I mean, like I said before, for us, the single most important thing um, from the first instance was how do I create a product that is perfect, that really fulfills what we promise it does, and so on. So we started looking at, okay, who can possibly manufacture something that looks like this for us? We started looking, okay, the simplest place to start, um, whoever makes telephone cords, you know, like who makes telephone cords? Okay, hi, person who makes telephone cords, could you make a telephone cord shaped hair tie? Um, we started like that. Then we also looked, okay, who else does spiral shaped things? Like, okay, spiral notebooks, mm-hmm. um, different kinds of wires and stuff like that. And eventually we came across someone who was like willing to take the step with us and, ch- you know, modify some things in production and possibly produce something like this for us. Of course, what was really important as well, which is one of the key things about the functionality of the product is the material. Mm-hmm. And because we have a background of, well, nothing, like we were 18 when we started, so we we're like children, I guess, before we founded this. Um, we started talking around to like, uh, you know, people who, who had studied this at, at university, and you're just like engineers and these kinds of people who have some kind of idea of what kind of materials can we use, you know, and we kept saying like, yeah, we want a plastic, um, you know, that it needs to have a completely smooth surface if you so wish for it to have, um, but it's at the same time elastic, which is a really weird it's a weird consistency in a material and then um eventually we were told you know what what family of plastics we should look at um and then within that we started testing and eventually we got to the product as it looks like today which took us about nine months okay that we tested out in the market and you were the the first manufacturer was in 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 britain or in in in, did you go directly to china or no um so we figured out quite quickly that it it's very labor intensive um and that's the first thing the second thing is the the real know-hows of plastic is actually in, in china they really know um what they're doing so we went there found uh a manufacturer there and Wow. Started like that, and you you uh, you you traveled to China and uh, talked to the manufacturer, or was it all done over the over the the internet? Um, at first, it was done over the internet. Obviously, as, as soon as it got <laughs> a bit off the ground and we could pretty much afford a ticket to okay. China, we went. <laughs> um, yeah, but at the beginning, yeah, everything online. And um, how did you how did you fund the the first production 
charge. I don't know the English word. I'm sorry. How do, the the first uh, the first uh, hair ties you produced? How do how did you fund that? How did you pay for that? Uh, how did we pay for that? So okay, this is always an interesting question because people always ask us like, okay, how much investment did you know did you receive in your company and so on? And it's almost impossible to find um, a startup nowadays that hasn't been funded. Um, But we are one. <laughs> so we're completely self-funded. And concretely, what it cost us to start was $4,000. Okay. $4,000 split between Felix and I. So Felix is my co-founder. Um, which basically was money that we made from the season before because we were ski instructors. So it, like, <laughs> it was like a really nice story. You Just know? money you saved. Yeah, we had, we had saved a bit of money from, from ski instructing. I guess we were planning on spending it on, on, on like... The no alcoholic beverages at uni or, or whatever one does, but Traveling. then instead it went into plastic hair ties. Oh, so exciting! <laughs> um, yeah, so four four thousand dollars, and that basically funded for a Shopify website, um, which is like a, a platform where you can very quickly mm -hmm. um, set up your e-commerce platform per se. Um, we then downloaded Photoshop because we needed a logo, and that's like two hundred dollars, something like that. I think the students' version, and the rest of the money went into the opening order. That was the $4,000, and then we went out. So, obviously, we were selling on our web shop, which was like, I don't know, 10 euros a day that we were doing turnover in mm. that. But what we realized quite quickly was, okay, if we, want, if we want to stay true to ourselves, which is what we said from the beginning, that we want our product to be perfect, we then need to speak to the professionals. And who are the professionals for hair? Hairdressers. Mm -hmm. So, we started going out to hairdressers um, with that $4,000 worth of goods that we had ordered, And we would give it to hairdressers and ask them to try it themselves. Um, or if they wanted, they could also purchase a small amount and, and resell it in, in their salon. And, you know, please, please, please give us feedback. <laughs> and that's really what took us the nine months, right? Mm -hmm. So we spent nine months going to hairdressers and so on, gathering all, all sorts of feedback. We also had like 25 different colors, uh, 15 different variations of packaging. You know, you could, anything you wanted, you could we would give it to, to the hairdresser and then eventually we decided on, okay, if we want to go into mass market um, and really have our Invisibubbles become available to everyone, we need one standardized solution, which then became that we put three hair ties of the same color into a transparent cube. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the hairdressers you were approaching first were, were, were in England? or It was a combination of in England and in Munich. Okay. And it's really easy because, I mean, and this is what's so nice about working with hairdressers, I guess, that you walk in, um, a hairdresser is oftentimes um, owned, like it's one alone standing hair salon, and the owner is in the salon. So when you walk in, the, the likelihood that you meet the owner is not that low, mm -hmm. um, which in other words means that decision maker. Um, and you, we would walk in and start talking to them, and they're just like, they're such creative welcoming people and, and they were super happy to, to give their input on something and um, help us develop the brand I think as well uh, it was funny for them to see sort of two 18 year olds walk in and be like hi we have hair ties you know do you, you know and they weren't annoyed they weren't annoyed because they were or haven't they been annoyed because they were approached by uh, are approached by salespeople very often you would think so. But I think it's, I mean, salespeople always come with like shampoos and mm. uh, sort of uh, stuff that you use in the salon. I don't think anyone has ever approached them with hair ties and been okay. like, hey, you know, what do you think about these hair ties? That's the first thing. And the second thing, again, that we were like 18 year olds, like just walking <laughs> in with like our sneakers and, and jeans and being yeah. like, you know, here's our project. And did you, did you, how did you choose the hairdressers you approached? Did you like um, try to find 
hairdressers who are have a, like a like their own are little uh, are known as influencers or are like uh, famous hairdressers no, or I, um I mean we, you start by going to the ones you know okay um so I'm not from Munich myself I'm half Spanish half Danish grown up in Switzerland but the other three um so Felix as well as the founders of, of New Flag Danny Nikki they're all from Munich so they know, uh, you know, they've gotten their hair cut there yeah, okay. many, many years. So we would, you know, start with them and then, you know, the hairdressers know each other, so to their friends and so yeah. on. And so your co-founder is from Munich, right? Yes. And uh, you mentioned New Flag right now. M many listeners probably know that we already did a, um, a podcast with New Flag, but yeah. maybe you could, um, for, for the people who don't, who don't know about this, um, tell us about what New Flag is and how it came about that you're... Affiliated with yes, with yes. New Flag. So um, at the time that I, um, in the middle of my hangover, called up Felix and said, you know, hair ties, blah blah blah. Um, Felix's brother Danny, uh, together with Nikki, had founded a company, and they were called New Flag, and they were distributing the Tangle Teaser. Mm -hmm. So the Tangle Teaser is a detangling hairbrush from the UK, and they were selling it to hair salons and sort of concept stores and so on, and we're trying to get into bigger retailers. And we were sitting there, and we were thinking like, okay, those guys are doing hairbrushes and we're doing hair ties. It's really not that far away from yeah. each other. They're really complementing products. Why don't we sort of put the whole thing together yeah. and offer like value sets or like I don't know, whatever it is, just go to the salons and go to the retailers together. It's always nicer to offer more. Um, and both products are really disruptive in their own segment. Mm. You know, so in that sense, they really complement. So that is how it came to be. And um, we still, we're still together. So New Flag owns a majority share at Invisibubble. Mm -hmm. um, although, I mean, at the end of the day, on paper, we're separate entities. In reality, we just act like like one big company okay and then when you when you <coughs> when you um were talking to the hairdressers and they bought the first uh your your first stock um was it a runaway hit right away or did it take some take some time till you somehow got the feeling okay maybe this could work out how was the How, uh, how was the tempo there? It was mixed feedback at the beginning. Like, I think it was really hard for people to get over the fact that they look like telephone cords. Mm -hmm. People were like, what's wrong with you? Why would you even think of doing something that looks like a telephone cord? I'm not putting that in my hair on my wrist. Okay. Take it away from me. Um, but then, I guess it's like when you listen to a song enough times, at some point you start liking it. Um, then, you know, people became familiar with the way that the Invisibubbles looked and we also started making more of an effort, you know, to make them look pretty. So now we have metallic ones and, and all different kinds of colors and a nice packaging. And then, you know, people start accepting the way they look and it gets to the point where people really like the way they mm -hmm. look. Um, and that hand in hand with the fact that they actually deliver their promise of that it doesn't leave a mark in the hair was then what really made it take off. Mm -hmm. So I think from the beginning, people were accepting of like, yeah, it's, it's a good product and it works. I don't like how it looks. And then as soon as that barrier was overcome, it really, really took off. Okay. And um, you mentioned the, the Shopify, uh, Shopify shop. Um, did, you, did you try selling the, the, selling the hair ties online and quickly thought, okay, this isn't going to work out. We have to go to the, to, into retail, into physical retail. Um, or did you uh, try both p uh, 
parallel, parallelly um, at the same time? Or, or Well, the way that it worked for us was, as I said at the beginning, we had our little web shop and we were selling to hairdressers, but very early on we made... Uh, so it was a B2B shop, a B2B web shop. I no, 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 it's a B2C web shop. Okay. As well as selling to hairdressers, ah, okay, like okay. us physically going to the hairdressers. Um, but very early on, we we made the, the, or set the goal for ourselves, let's say, that we wanted to be so widely available that, um, you know how instead of asking for a tissue, you ask for a tempo yeah. or a Kleenex? Uh, we wanted to make it so that you would ask for an Invisibubble. Okay. And that means that you just need to be available everywhere. Um Not only that, but we, we still want it to be cool, you know? We don't want to be like a mass market commodity product. We want to be like a mass market cool, like mastiche <laughs> product. Best of both worlds. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and those products exist. I mean, these brands exist. They're, there's uh, proof of concept out there. Um, and in order to do that, that's when we realized, okay, um, we need to, you know, we need to start selling into retailers. Mm -hmm. There's no other way around it. Okay. So you had... You and sorry, and to answer your question, that's why only selling online wasn't going to be an option. Mm -hmm. um, because okay, you have the availability online, but you also need to like somehow drive traffic to either your website or whatever website you're selling on. Our products are super cheap. This has to be kept in mind. Um, on average, our product costs five euros. Okay. So if for you for three for three th hair ties, okay. yeah. So like one packaging is five euros. Um, and to order that by itself online is just never going to work because you pay five euros for the product and then what, you're going to pay five euros for shipping? Yeah. No. Um, so that's why online we only really thrive if we're an add-on product to something else. So if you're, I don't know, you're shopping on Sephora.com uh, where people anyway spend like, yeah. I don't know, $300 on one single shopping um, spree, then you can, you know, add the five euro invisible. bubble. That's not a problem. Yeah. Um, you said your your product is very cheap. Is it... Um, uh, is it cheap compared to other hair ties as well? Because I could imagine that you can buy like 20 hair ties for two dollars on on Amazon or whatever. Yeah. We are three to four times as expensive as comparable products, let's mm -hmm. say. So other hair ties on the market. We've known this from the beginning, and this is the thing is for us. Because it's such a different product, also in production and so on, it's just so much more expensive. Hence, we had to elevate the price. It was an, an iffy decision, um, obviously, especially, I mean, as soon as the products get more expensive, you can then say, okay, I put much more in a pack and try to then lower the, the price like that. But that wasn't what we were going for. We really wanted it to be sort of this unboxing experience that mm -hmm. you, you get excited to buy the product, but we also wanted it to be available to everyone. So it doesn't help to put a hundred in a box and sell it for, I don't know, 60 euros. Yeah. Um, We still wanted it to be sort of a very, like in absolute terms, a cheap price. And when we went to retailers with that and, and just in general to any sort of B2B client, they were like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> you're not going to sell three ties for hair, three hair ties for five euros. Yeah. You've gone crazy. And we're like, no, no, you know, I think it works because our, our value proposition is so different. You have to see it differently. We've opened a new category, right? Okay. This isn't a standard hair accessory. It's not a standard hair tie. It's another category. And at first they were like, mm, I don't know, okay, fine, we'll give it a try. And I remember um, one of the first clients we had was Urban Outfitters in the UK. Um, they're uh, like a fa fast fashion apparel store. And after being in their store for a couple of weeks and we went to meet them again, the buyer was like, you know what, you're right. Invisibubble is like an animal of its own. An okay. animal of its own. And I was like, yes, it <laughs> is an animal of its own. I'm never going to forget that. But yeah. Urban Outfitters, you say fast fashion, it's a little bit more upscale, right? Yeah, but um, it's it's meant for a younger yeah. 
age group. They have expensive things. They also have cheaper things. Yeah. yeah. And how did you manage the step from like uh, specialized hairdressers into retail? How do you? Who do you talk to? Uh, how do you, how do you get your foot in the door? Send a lot of emails. Okay. A lot of trial and error with what the email address could be. Um, going to trade shows. This is a big one. Mm -hmm. So we would go to um, the, one of the biggest trade shows uh, for hair and beauty is Cosmoprof. Mm -hmm. And we invested a lot of money, or like for us at the time, a lot of money to, to go to this trade show and have the smallest booth available, which is like nine square meters, mm -hmm. I think. And we sat there with our, our little hair ties. And then we had hired a hairdresser who really loved our products and she was doing updos with them. And what you have is people, you know, people pass, but you don't know who they are. And every so often, of course, you know, people stop and they, they inquire. And very often they're hairdressers, but sometimes it's a Sephora, <laughs> you know, and yeah. sometimes it's a Boots. Yeah. And you're like, yes. Um, <laughs> I just want to take a moment since yeah. we're sitting here in, in a recording mobile at the Omar Festival. just want to take a moment to, to uh, tell our, uh, our listeners, this is an example of a small trade show booth being obviously successful and you can <laughs> have these small trade show booths at the Omar Festival as well so, yeah. so take this as an inspiration <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> but just a short ad break from my part nine square meters can be worth it so yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so you know and this is where you build up the context and where you at least get <clears throat> not necessarily a foot in the door but like a flag on the terrain let's mm. say like hey I exist um, and then, yeah, so at first, obviously, we had to reach out to them, but it's also like it then becomes a snowballing effect. Like the moment we got into Boots, we had Urban Outfitters on our footstep, on our doorstep. We had Topshop call us up. Topshop didn't even want a meeting. They were just like, hi, we would like to list your products. Just give us a price and we'll order. And we were like, whoa, you know, we want to fly in and tell you everything about our brand and who mm. we are. And they're like, no, no, we want to order. <laughs> like, ah, okay, okay. But isn't it? Uh, how do you? Where uh, did you manage to grow out of the cash floor? And, uh, how did you do that? Did, did you uh, uh, the pro the the hair ties you ordered with the four thousand euros? You sold them all and made a profit and reinvested yeah. it. Was is that all that there was to it? Or um, honestly, yeah. And obviously, the the we were just very careful with how we spent our money. Okay. Um. So. You have to be careful when you go into a big retailer like a Boots. They usually request like 120 days payment terms okay. or something like that. So you're sitting on a lot, a lot, a lot of lead time. Um, but because we at the same time had our hairdresser business, even though it wasn't very large, there the cash comes much quicker. Mm -hmm. So at least whilst we were waiting for these large payments from, from the big retailers, we had an ongoing um, cash flow from the smaller outlets where mm -hmm. we were selling so i mean sometimes it's gotten tight yes but, <laughs> <laughs> but we've always managed yeah but never so tight that you got a headache because you had not not yet, not yet. <laughs> no headaches from invisible yeah. never never, never. <laughs> um and um i could imagine if you're talking to big retail chains like i don't know boots or dm in germany that they have very that is hard to get into their stores and they have they, you have to pay like 
I don't know the English word, Werbekostenzuschuss. Like, um, if you have a, want to have a certain placement in the store, mm. um, you have to give them a better price or, or pay something for that. Um, what was your experience with that? Was it hard for you to get, like, a, um, a place in the store which the people really see and where they walk by often? Um, I think at first we were just happy to be in the stores. Um, what we've really been able to negotiate to be honest is the fact that we're a small company so very often a retailer will work with like the majority of their clients are like huge huge conglomerates who have a lot of uh, marketing dollars to spend and we didn't and you know we were really saying like okay please you know can you give us the benefit like the benefit of the doubt and you know you know can you help us with the investment somehow we pay a little bit or you get a bit of a discount on this but then maybe can you come in our direction like that and it's impressive to see how much uh, a retailer who has a lot of rules set in stone per se um, is willing to come your way when they see a potential mm -hmm. in in your product i have to say um since like the last few years indie brands has just become like a huge thing mm -hmm. Um, and that has been great for us, obviously, because they now allocate certain parts of their stores to indie brands and they give more and more space because the consumer is demanding it more. Mm. So now it's in a way a little bit easier because, you know, they will already allocate space. Like Boots runs a program as well where if you're a small um, brand, you can get on this like uh, spotlight space. And the only thing you have to pay for is the display that goes in. You don't actually pay for the space itself. Okay. And I think that's really, really amazing because, I mean, how else are you supposed to fund something yeah. like that um, but also the competition is getting higher for uh, for you because there are always someone new coming and challenge challenging you probably um yeah but not not so much in in hair accessories okay. i think we dominate that quite well <laughs> to be honest <laughs> okay um what do you think is the reason for 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 indie brands becoming a thing has it to do with like beauty youtubers and beauty influencers in, on instagram um, that the barriers barriers entry barriers for for new brands were lowered or what, what do you think is behind this um i think it's i mean millennials and generation z it's just it's two generations that really seek for like purpose and you know where where do things come from that i buy and you know why do they exist and They want a founder story. Mm. Um, and you this can is, deliver there. <laughs> yeah, but this is something that before wasn't, you know, before that it was so much more the age of like marketing and doing big campaigns mm. and and whoever had the most money would win. And now it's it's a lot more about being genuine and, you know, bringing products onto the market that make sense and are genuinely good, you know. Not that you can just spend a lot of marketing dollars on pretending something is good. Um, and you see it as well, like consumers that also with the fact that you have the internet readily available and you can google anything you wish um consumers engage so much more like they let's say educate themselves so much more about industries and like i don't know formulations ingredients and things uh well plastic is a is a huge topic hmm. and so on um but you're you're a plastic product is that a problem for you so this is interesting um overarchingly it isn't it's not really a topic Why it isn't a topic, I can't really answer for you. <laughs> That being said, though, um, I think we need to differentiate between what is, let's say, what is good and bad and, and what is sensical. So plastic is considered bad because it's not being recycled properly, right? 
But if you were to recycle it properly, there's in theory very little wrong with it. Mm. Um, and this is something we always say, like if something, something is recyclable only if in wherever location you live, they, there's actually facilities to recycle it. Mm -hmm. um, and within hair accessories, so hair accessories are usually made of um, like fabric together with uh, rubber and metal. As soon as you combine a whole different load of materials, it's very, very difficult to recycle this. You would have to pull all of it apart. What's nice about our Invisibubbles is that it's only made out of one single material and it's mm -hmm. all, always made out of one single piece. Okay. So if you so wished, you could close the loop and you can <laughs> actually recycle your Invisibubble, which means that our hair accessories are pretty much the only ones out there where, where the entire assortment is recyclable. Mm -hmm. Like any other kind of hair clip or something like that, that's not recyclable. Okay. Back to the history of your of your company when you um, when you were first first listed um, in in stores of the of the retailers was that um, what did you have to do to make the make the business grow did it like spread itself uh, virally because uh, one retailer saw it in the store of, of another retailer um, or what were the what what did you do to 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 um, push the company to a new level. Um, okay, well, I think you need to keep in mind, so you get listed at a retailer, right? So let's say you get listed in a German retailer that um, has stores across the country. That means that the moment you get you get listed overnight, you suddenly have an entire country that has accessibility mm. to your products. What's great about the Invisibubble is it's one of the very few things that you actually wear with you. So you've got your clothes, you've got your shoes, you've got a hat maybe, glasses, and you're Invisibubble. And then, in, in the, especially in the bigger cities, you then have a situation where what feels like almost overnight, everyone is wearing this product. And you're like, where did that come from? You know, <laughs> why is everyone wearing this? And, and the first question is, what is that, right? Because people don't, didn't know what it was and so on. And then it sparks a conversation. And then eventually people say, like, yeah, because, you know, we invested so much time into making it a good product. Um, people then say, yeah, you know, you can buy it at, you know, DM or whatever it is. And then the next time they go to the store, they, they pick up the product. And because it felt like this, like, overnight hype almost, it then sprung so much interest from the other retailers. You know, the, the moment we got, every time it's, the moment we get listed in one big retailer in a country, it was exactly the same in the U.S., you suddenly have, like, eight others that are like, mm -hmm. you know, hi, can we list your products? You know, what do you have available? Yeah. What pricing can you give us? Blah, blah. So, like, retail, the, these big retail chains are really like platforms for you to enter a new market huge yeah huge huge yeah and can you give us once again now like uh, <laughs> an, a picture of how how big invisible is can you say, i know that uh, the 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 new flag guys they said that they are like doing 50 million revenue in a year what part of this comes from Invis invisible so, um, Invisibubble is, has the lion's share of all of the brands mm -hmm. in the new flag portfolio. Okay. We are by far the largest. Bigger than Tangle Teaser's only a distribution deal, right? Yeah. And for this product, you have like the, you own the, the trademark and the IP and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. it's our brand. So, yeah, for new flag, it, it's, it's the revenue driver. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, Physical retail is still your most important uh, distribution channel. It is, yes. Uh, that being said, though, we're working very hard on getting better at online. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just uh, before we started the recording, I just was looking on on Amazon, and yeah. you're you're uh, you're on Amazon, and you're doing Amazon ads as well. 
Uh, yes, this is this is true. We're also, I mean, we've been on the Amazon bestseller ranking since like four years now. Okay. Um, yeah, always up there. Again, I mean, like what I said before, we have such a big issue with online because the product is so cheap. So what we're pushing towards now is uh, value packs, sort of gifting bundles and, and so on to get the average basket size up so it actually makes sense for someone to purchase mm. Invisibubble products online. It's something that we couldn't do before because we just didn't have enough of an assortment, let's say. Like, okay, what are you going to do with 25 hair ties? Yeah, great. Okay, then you're serviced with hair ties for the next like five years. Yeah. Um, but it's not such an exciting thing. And now in the meantime, we have more and more hair accessories and add-ons. We go a lot more into trend. Um, so we can bundle that together and create a really nice package for the customer that they would actually genuinely like, like to buy. Well, what, what, uh, how did the product develop? You have like line extensions, you have different, you have, I think I read that you have hair ties with smells, right? Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> I woke up one day and I was like, guys, wouldn't it be really cool if our Invisibubble smelled like something? <laughs> and the team was like, what? And then R&D <laughs> took it away and they were like, we can make Invisibubble smell like cookie dough. And I was like, oh my God, that is amazing. So then we did a collection called Cheat Day. Um, and the idea was, it was like right after. So everyone has a New Year's resolution. So everyone's like being super healthy. And then in April, we launched our Cheat Day collection. And the idea was that you could have a Cheat Day, but it was calorie free. Mm -hmm. um, and we had our, <laughs> our Invisibubbles that smelled like cookie dough, macaron, donut, you name okay. it. Yeah. And... Um, You said you wanted to get better at, at, at selling online. Do you have your own web shop or um, is it more important yeah. for you to be like in at, at sephora.com or douglas.de and have like, uh, have like these value packages? At the moment, it's still more important to be on those pages just mm. because they have a lot more traffic. Yeah. Um, we used to have a B2C shop. We don't anymore. Um, we will at some point again have one. Uh, we also want to do it right launch a proper one not just uh, any random Shopify one like we did back then uh, but again it, it's a it's a time investment and so on um, but it's coming yeah how do you deal with uh, with uh, people copying your product I can imagine that there are hundreds of people producing like Loads. spiral hair ties right now so at first it came as a huge shock like the first time I saw a copy I was literally like personally personally offended like <laughs> what This was my idea. Now you're copying it. What on earth? You know, what are you thinking? Um, and then we would get lawyers and be like, you know, yeah, take this off the shelf and blah, blah, blah. And it's at the end of the day, it's such a costly battle where you don't know if you're going to win or not. So at some point, you know, it sort of hit us that, okay, if someone is copying you, it's because you have a really good product. Um, so take it as a compliment And just focus on yourself, focus on your marketing, focus on continue telling your brand story because we know that we are the ones who created the new category. We're mm -hmm. the ones at the forefront. We are the ones who know what we're doing. Don't focus on anyone else. If they want to copy you, okay, whatever, fine, copy me. But we need to focus on ourselves to make sure that we're already, oh, like always three, four steps ahead. Okay. Yeah. And your, 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 your most important task is like to... to push the brand probably probably like you said become the tempo of the uh, hair ties so that people are willing to pay more because probably copies often are a little bit cheaper than yeah they're usually product. half the price or less but the quality isn't the same <laughs> so yeah it's okay. always about pushing the brand further okay when you uh, um, how many people do you employ so 
between Invisibubble and New Flight because it's difficult to split the mm-hmm. people. Um, we're around 120 in total. Wow. Of which 85 more or less sit at the office, at the wow. headquarters in Munich. Wow, yeah. impressive. And what what uh, what are the people doing? Are the Is it like the, the the biggest part of the of the um, people employed are dealing with distribution, dealing with marketing? What? Uh, how do you split? Mm-hmm. The single biggest department we have is marketing okay. at the office, um, very closely followed by sales. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, all of the departments are pretty big. Yeah. And honest. marketing is still largely based offline, probably like point of sale marketing packaging. No, so you have to keep in mind we have 12 brands, so it's it's not just Invisibubble. Yeah. So Depending on the different brands, like we also have brands that have much higher price points where we do all kinds of things in online. Um, but it's, I mean, for Invisibubble and, and certain other brands, one of the biggest things we do is retail marketing. So really like getting cool displays mm-hmm. out there um, that really represent our brand, how we want it to be represented in the stores. Okay. Okay, looking looking back when when you started at 18 and what happened in between was is there anything you would have done differently or is there any like is there one advice from your history as a founder that you would uh, that you would give to to other founders? Always keep believing. I know it sounds a bit like <laughs> Santa Claus, like believe in Santa Don't Claus. Don't stop believing. Like the journey song. Yeah, but it's just some, like when I was at university and I started, people were literally like pointing and laughing. Like, ha, ha, that's a girl that sells, you know, like she's trying to sell plastic hair ties. Ha, ha, no. You know, like don't don't get yourself down on that. It doesn't matter how tiny your idea is or how dumb it sounds. If you believe in it, then there must be a reason, you know, like... If you believe, then keep going. Okay. I think uh, a couple of times I was maybe a bit skeptical, like, hmm, what am I doing? Um, don't take a single second to reflect on if what you're doing makes sense or not. Just keep pushing forward. Perfect. Okay, Sophie, thank you very much for uh, being here, for taking the time to talk to Super. us. And, uh, thank yeah, you too. Have a nice off, uh, <laughs> end of the Omar Festival. Yes. And, uh, yeah, thank, thank you and goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye. Buzz.